At a time like this, it's easy to see why local news is so important and why that news should be free for everyone who needs it to be. Your support of KCUR makes this essential reporting possible. If you can, please donate. KCUR.org slash give. And thanks. Good morning and welcome to Up to Date Special Coverage Coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. This morning we begin with a conversation with a man from the Kansas City area who is stuck in Peru along with four family members and with several thousand other Americans due to the coronavirus. We'll ask when and if they'll be able to leave. Later, how the coronavirus is impacting schools in Kansas and Missouri. Is distance learning working? Will seniors set to graduate in May actually receive their diplomas? And what about those standardized tests? But first, here to give us a roundup of the morning's news is KCUR's Sam Zeff. Sam, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Let's start with those stunning unemployment numbers released earlier today, Sam. Yeah, those just came out this morning. 3.2 million initial weekly claims for unemployment nationally. Uh, The Department of Labor blames most of that on COVID-19, saying almost all states have seen uh, impacts about that, particularly those in the food service industries, also heavy cited in health care and social assistance. Uh, In Kansas and Missouri, also skyrocketing numbers. Uh, The initial claims in unemployment in Kansas last week, 23,687. That is an increase of 21,000 932. Wow. In Missouri, not any better. Uh, initial claims last week, this is for claims that ended on Saturday, the week that ended Saturday. 40,508. That is an increase of 36,492. Hmm. And if the news wasn't already a little scary, Sam, a story that broke last night certainly made it so. The FBI says it uncovered a plot to blow up a local hospital. Yes. What do we know there? Yeah, so on Tuesday, the FBI sends out a statement and say they were trying to arrest a man down in Belton. Uh, this is just off I-49 in a little industrial area in Belton. Uh, said that uh, there was a, uh, he pulled a gun, he was shot, he died at a hospital. Then last night, about 6.15, uh, the FBI sends out a much longer statement saying that uh, he was part of a domestic terrorism investigation and that he was plotting to bomb a local hospital. Uh, KCUR's Noah Taborda got on that story, and this is what he had this morning. According to an FBI statement issued last night, Timothy Wilson was a, quote, potentially violent extremist motivated by racial, religious, and anti-government animus. FBI officials say he considered several targets for a bombing. With the current health crisis, Wilson allegedly accelerated his plan, settling on a hospital in an attempt to harm as many people as possible. The FBI were prepared to arrest Wilson when he arrived to pick up what he believed to be a car bomb. According to the statement, Wilson, who was armed, was shot and injured during the arrest by FBI agents and moved to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Noah Taborda. Do we know which hospital was targeted here, Sam? No, we don't. The FBI didn't release that. We are also, uh, we are endeavoring right now to learn a little bit more about uh, 36-year-old Timothy Wilson, who was the man shot and killed by the FBI in Belton. Uh, We do know this from the FBI statement. Uh, They considered him a violent extremist motivated by racial, religious, and anti-government animus. This was an investigation uh, done by the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Joint Terrorism Task Force uh, in Kansas City, in every FBI jurisdiction is made up not only of FBI agents, but other federal agents and also local police 
uh, who are detailed to the Joint Terrorism Task Force. We don't know how they got onto this investigation right now. The FBI would not go any further than the statement they sent out at uh, 6.15 last night. But uh, going uh, as far as they did, saying that he had extremist uh, racial, religious, and anti-government animus suggests from previous FBI investigations uh, that they may have gotten on to Timothy Wilson from social media posting. Hmm. And as if that's not enough, what else is going on out there? Well, uh, we're following up on the uh, we're following up on the unemployment numbers today. Uh, we expect uh, to hear something about the uh, uh, emergency order from the Johnson County Board of Commissioners, who are meeting today. Uh, and also, I'm following up on the uh, pickleball bust at uh, <laughs> Meadow uh, uh, Meadowbrook Park yesterday. It wasn't really a bust, but uh, a lot of people are out enjoying the beautiful day. Uh, there was probably two dozen people playing pickleball. The uh, Prairie Village Police, very lovely guys, I have to say, came up, uh, educated them, handed out the emergency order, said too many people here. That's KCUR Sam Zeff. Sam, thanks very much. Thank you, Steve. For Brian Copeland and four family members, the story of their lives right now is simply stuck in Peru. The good news, Copeland's wife is from Peru, so Copeland, his wife, sister-in-law, nephew, and mother-in-law have a place to stay. The bad news, it could be a couple more weeks until they can catch a plane home. The problem stems from the leader of Peru who has closed his nation's borders due to the coronavirus pandemic. That means Copeland and several other thousand Americans are stuck in the South American country. Brian Copeland joins me now from Peru. Brian, good morning. Good morning to you, Steve. Oh, why were you in Peru, Brian? Well, my wife, uh, as you mentioned, has family here. She came down in January on family medical leave from her registered nurse job in the ER uh, to take care of some health issues for her father. Uh, I came down, you know, a couple of months later simply to... Uh, chill out in uh, South American capital and, uh, and enjoy their company, both my wife and my daughter. When were you originally scheduled to leave, Brian? Well, technically, I'm still on vacation. I'm, I'm, I was scheduled to leave uh, this, this weekend. Um, we've made several changes to those plans since. Uh, we, I, was, I did have some incredibly expensive tickets purchased for uh, I believe Monday or Tuesday of this week. I also have uh, some tickets, at least in the queue, for in the first week of April. But I don't know when I'm going to use any of them because about five days into my trip here, we got the uh, level four travel advisory from the Department of State. I don't know if there's a level five travel advisory, but the level four provides some very interesting reading. Uh, and that that reading su suggests what? In in so many words, it said if you have access to transportation, you should take it because to rely on the United States government to get you out of this country, wherever that is, I'm assuming it's sent to other countries as well. Mm -hmm. But relying on the United States government is is not a good option. And if you stay. Uh, you, it, the, the length of time you will stay is undetermined. 
So they so were suggesting some... the State Department was saying to you, get out now. Pretty much. And, and you know, when you get that message from the State Department, it provides a certain amount of clarity to your decision-making process. What was it like then as you scrambled to get uh, airline tickets and get out right away? What did you encounter? Well, you know, with the uh, – I've, I've seen numbers high as – 4,500 with 4,500 other Americans trying to get out. You know, the uh, Peruvian government came down with their first no-fly, you know, edict on about five days into my travel here and gave 24 hours notice of that uh, administrative, you know, issue. Then later on, uh, the Minister of Interior, he provided... A, a refinement of that saying no flights in or out no exceptions so some of the flights have been flying from miami to uh lima but they've been turned around because uh, landing rights have been denied so mm. you can make plans as a matter of fact i believe there were two flights scheduled to leave lima today but for one reason or another and that's another problem just simply the lack of information that we have for one reason or another, one of them has been canceled. So flights are hard to come by, and a lot of people want to get on them. So it's it's uh, kind of difficult to get on one. Do you have any way to anticipate at this point, Brian, our plane's going to be leaving Lima in the days to come, or is there just any way for you to navigate that? It's very difficult to navigate that. Uh, you know, <laughs> Like I said, the lack of information makes you know if if your if your only source of information is Facebook, you're you're in some pretty deep water to begin with. Um, but there have been emails from the Department of State, from Embassy here in Lima, that said uh, we've we've got things lined up. We're you know we've we've smoothed out whatever problems there were or were not with the Peruvian government. And we're well on our way to sending a, a squadron of planes down. That That's great. That's a, a wonderful email to read. But until your name is on a manifest and you're on a tarmac walking up the stairs to the, to the hatch, it really doesn't mean anything. You know, Brian, I mentioned in the opening that the good news for you and your family is you have a place to stay. But still, I can't help but wonder, what does it feel like to you to be stuck the way you are so far from home? Well, it, it's there's seven people in a three bedroom, you know, apartment uh, where you're getting to know each other very well, um, <laughs> and and there is a, a bit of a soft, you know, um, not crackdown. That's not the word I wanted, but but uh, you can go to the grocery store, you can go to the bank, you can go to the pharmacy, and uh, later on after that was imposed. Uh, people weren't taking it seriously, so they imposed a hard curfew from eight in the evening until five in the morning. So, hmm. you're, we're sticking pretty much to the uh, confines of the four walls of the building here. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe if I come back to Kansas City, I'll be so accustomed to this it won't it won't uh, affect me like some people might be having some difficulties if that were to go into effect there. Um, but it's. It's not the vacation I wanted to have. That's that's a, the short version. I'm wondering what you've done so far to find a way out. What what responses have you gotten from American agencies and authorities? What levers have you tried to push? 
Well, after we got the uh, level four uh, travel advisory, I started to contact uh, my elected representative, Sharice Davids, uh, senators from Kansas. My wife works in Missouri, so I thought perhaps Missouri senators would be interested in what their constituents would be facing if my wife were not, you know, providing medical services. Um, and I actually heard back from uh, someone from Floyd Blunt's office in Jefferson City. Um, but a lot of the uh, correspondence between uh, my Kansas elected re- representatives has been somewhat formulatic, um, like, you know, greetings, fellow Kansan, that sort of thing. Um, so I should it, just it, point out that we it, did get a message back from Senator Jerry Moran's office saying that they uh, – to let you, to let us know that you had not reached out to them and that they have assisted more than 50 Kansans who have been uh, st- uh, stuck or still located in 10 different countries during this pandemic. And and I I think that I wrote them on my wife's email, so if they were looking specifically ah. for my name, then they probably didn't find it. Right. Um, but and and if they have, you know, and, and I'm not saying that they have done a bad job. I don't know what job they've done because I've had no information, yes or no. Uh, if they have assisted 50 people, that's that's to their good and to their credit. Um, and there are, you know, this is, I'm, this is not, you know, it all doesn't revolve around me. It's uh, 4,500 Americans here in the, in the country. And I just read on NPR this morning, like 50,000 worldwide that, you know, probably would want to come home. Although, you know, you, we are relatively safe here and uh, we, uh, we don't know what exactly we're going to be coming back to, but this isn't where we live. I have a job and a house in Kansas City and that's where I need to be. What are you missing by not being back here? How's your life being impacted, Brian? Um, you know, uh, that, Lima is a city of approximately nine million people. Hmm. Uh, if, if there's something that you want to do, you can probably find it here. And, and the food is about as good as you can find anywhere in the world. Um, so I mean, there's not, there's a, I, I, there is one peculiar thing that I, I they don't serve, <laughs> they don't serve, uh, water with ice in it in the restaurant. And so I'm really jonesing for a big glass of water with lots of ice. <laughs> Other than that, not much. That doesn't sound so bad, Brian. Well, you know, it, like I say, I'm, I'm American by choice and Kansan by the grace of God, and I want to come home. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to the time when I can be on a manifest and be on my way. Hey, how will you be notified by the State Department or the embassy there that there is, in fact, a flight waiting for you and your family? Well, I'm told, or I've read from uh, accounts from other people, that we'll either get a call or we'll get an email with approximately eight hours notice and we'll find transportation to the meeting point, which I think is at the embassy. Uh, but you know, until that actually happens, I, I can't really tell you for sure because it'll only happen one time and, and, um, it hasn't happened yet. Well, Brian, uh, we'll be rooting for you here in Kansas city that you can get out before too long. And we appreciate you sharing your predicament with, uh, me and, and with our listeners, Brian, uh, Uh, Good luck to you, and we'll be rooting for you here. All right, Steve. Thanks very much for having me. You bet. That's Brian Copeland, uh, who's stuck in Peru with four family members waiting for a flight back to Kansas City.
It goes without saying that school districts throughout Kansas and Missouri are in a Herculean battle with COVID-19 as they try to continue educating kids during the pandemic and continue feeding many of them as well. There's a lot of moving parts here for educators as there are with parents, many of whom are now faced with the task of becoming teachers themselves and trying to get their kids to pay attention to schoolwork as the parents themselves work for, from home on their own jobs. It's a new world order for the education community, which must stare down big questions about what to do with kids who don't have access to computers and whether seniors should even be allowed to graduate in May after missing the final two months of their school years. During the next 45 minutes, we'll visit with top educators in both Kansas and Missouri to see how they're wrestling with these questions. We begin with Kansas, where Governor Laura Kelly became the first governor in the country to close public schools in the wake of a pandemic. With us are Dr. Randy Watson. He's the Kansas Commissioner of Education. Commissioner Watson, thanks for taking some time. Uh, good morning, Steve. It's my pleasure. Charles Faust is also here uh, back with us again. He's the superintendent of Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. Superintendent Faust, nice to have you too. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And if our listeners have questions about their own kids' situation for our Kansas officials, you can give us a call, 816-235-2888. Commissioner, how did you and the governor come to the decision to to close the schools before any other state? What what was the thinking that went into that? Uh, Steve, the, the first uh, recommendation that I made and, and Governor Kelly also made was to uh, closed schools, uh, what I believe was a week ago now, it seems like forever ago, uh, which, and most school districts in Kansas were on spring break during that time, about 60%. Uh, another large group of them had just come off spring break. And, uh, we thought that that would buy us some time to, to talk to medical experts. Um, when we, when we were talking to the best medical experts in Kansas and across the country, uh, it seemed clear that while no one knew how long this virus would uh, would would be impacting us, uh, the the shortest that that people were telling us was it would be eight weeks, which would have taken Kansas schools into early May, mm-hmm. up to 18 months. And so I think the decision to give some stability to our planning um, was to uh, close schools um, as we know them for the rest of the year. I think, Steve, there's been some uh, misunderstanding about that executive order. Right. Because while it closed for buildings, it allowed uh, for continuous learning plans to go in place, and I know we'll talk some about that. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Superintendent Faust, I'm wondering, how did your parents in Kansas City, Kansas, react to the governor's decision to close the schools? So um, as far as the reaction, I think it was a little bit of anxiety of of what do we do? Um, parents at that point were um, now being told that, you know, you're going to be a teacher. And I think that provided some anxiety. However, um, the support from the governor was well received at the, at the district level. We understood and we knew that safety was the first measure that we wanted to take into place. And then what we knew is that as educators, we had had to go into work mode and create some plans and avenues for, for the next steps. Superintendent, I can't help but, but think that a lot of your parents work outside the home and count on schools to be open and their kids to be away at school during the days while they hold down jobs. 
any sense of uh, uh, the, 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 the difficulty that caused so many families? Absolutely. And I believe that is uh, first and foremost part of the anxiety that was caused not only um, from our students, but from, from the parents. But I, I, I definitely concur with that. Commissioner, what about high school seniors? You know, a lot of people are wondering about this question, and I, and I guess really every student across the state, will all of them move up one grade or graduate even though none of them will be completing their, their school years, at least in the traditional way? Steve, that would certainly be our goal and our hope. And as we started to work on our continuous learning plans in Kansas, uh, we thought about the seniors foremost, and we've been talking to school districts, work on the seniors first and then work backward uh, from that. Um, Kansas uh, has uh, 21 credits for graduation made up of a series of English, math, science, social studies, and elective credits. Right. The vast majority of our school districts uh, have higher graduation requirements than what are then what are the minimum for the state so one of the things we've asked school districts to consider not to necessarily do but consider is do you want this year for seniors to uh, only have to to make the 21 credits necessary for, from the state for graduation or do you want them to continue to hit your standards which may be higher a variety of school districts have approached that differently but i know that all of them have gone into this thinking about seniors first, and then we're really backward mapping their thinking all the way down to their pre-K um, students. But it sounds like you're saying, Commissioner, that that most seniors in Kansas will graduate on time in May. Am I, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. That would be our goal. I know Dr. Faust is working on that hard in KCK, and uh, all of our school districts are across Kansas. Dr. We want to see students graduate, and they've got plans uh, for next year. We want to make sure that happens. And likewise, a fourth grader commissioner will become a fifth grader come the fall. That is our goal, Steve. Dr. Faust, how are you handling that in KCK? So, yes, that is um, a request that we will be having in our next board meeting um, on the agenda for um, the credits of 25 to be relaxed to the state standards of the 21. Um, and then we're also having our counselors, our principals go into our system and look to see how many of our students are already at the 21, how many are deficient the 21. And so then we are going into a mode of actually um, having those teachers reach out, those principals reach out, those counselors reach out to those students who are possibly at 20, um, to see what we can do to help them get across that finish line. Um, and, of course, we will have all those conversations with our, our board um, to get the approval because that's a, that's a, a local board um, approval decision. Uh, Commissioner, um, how will this impact seniors hoping to head off to college? Are, are colleges going to look askance at this arrangement or because it's so universal across the country, is it all going to wash out? Steve, I, I think uh, universities are going to be very flexible. As, as you know, in most cases across the country and certainly in Kansas, the universities and college systems were the first systems to really close as uh, for on-campus learning. Uh, ACT, SAT has been suspended uh, through the rest of the spring, I think uh, waiting for what will happen with the June decision on that test date. Advanced placement courses have moved to online uh, 
uh, exams. So there's a lot of change in that environment, and uh, I know that at least in Kansas, the Kansas colleges and universities will be adapting so that students that want the opportunity to further their education in the fall will have it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas. We're spending these segments of our show looking at education in both Kansas and Missouri. I'm joined by two top education officials in Kansas right now. We'll turn to Missouri in just a little while. I'm joined by Dr. Randy Watson. He's the Kansas Commissioner of Education. And Charles Faust, who's the superintendent of Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. Commissioner, uh, you mentioned earlier about some of the misunderstandings here about the executive order that Governor Kelly signed, and you wanted to talk about uh, the notion that uh, school districts are offering three options right now, which I think uh, is an idea that's gotten lost in the shuffle here. Can you run through those for us? Uh, Absolutely. There were six parts to the executive order. I think most people have focused on the first part, which said that all school buildings would be closed in Kansas through the end of May with the following exceptions as noted, and one of those is our continuous learning plan, which does allow for small um, uh, group instruction in counties where we do not have a stay-in-place order. Meaning kids can go to school in some places and actually in small groups and actually be back in the classroom. That is correct. So currently, uh, and again, um, the uh, Kansas State Department of Health and Environment, local health officials, Center for Disease Control could modify these um, these requirements at any time, and certainly in Wyandotte County, where Dr. Faust is, they have been modified. But the first requirement, you can have up to 10 people, including the teacher, in a classroom six feet apart, as long as they are what we call a stable group, meaning that you see the same group of kids every day. Mm-hmm. For some of our small private and public schools in Kansas, especially in the western part of our state, that may be an option, and I know several of them are using that option in combination with the second option, which is online learning, uh, both uh, kind of in a Zoom or a Skype environment, Mm -hmm. and then where you have uh, certain assignments that may be done on a computerized platform, Um, and then packet learning, where Packets of, of uh, activities uh, are given to families, either emailed, picked up uh, in a, in a uh, drop-off place, and then brought back to the school. And so what we've asked school districts to do is put their own plan in place, given the uniqueness of their community, of their families, and blend any of those three approaches that makes sense in their community. Mm. If uh, parents and educators in Kansas have questions uh, for our panel, again, our number, 816-235-2888. What questions do you have on how the school year is going to proceed for your own kids? 816-235-2888 or tweet us at KCUR up to date. Dr. Faust, what's KCK going to do or have you made that decision yet? So we are in the the midst of creating our plan. Um, Currently, we have started on Monday. We um, did a professional development with our principals to roll out, let them see the beginning um, of the draft of our plan um, to get feedback yesterday. And today we are working with all of our teachers in our district through um, a Zoom-like um, PD, we're we're rolling it out piece by piece to them so they can get their we can get their feedback, their input. Um, one thing we want um, the listeners and everyone to know is that 
you know, two weeks ago, we were a traditional class or traditional school setting. This two weeks later, we're now an online facility. So not everyone understands or knows how to do distance learning. So we're giving our educators um, opportunities to um, become as much, and I'll say, um, you know, lightly comfortable with becoming a, an online facilitator. Mm -hmm. So what Dr. Watson stated is absolutely correct. We are um, doing a, a modified distance learning with our, um, our, our students, training our teachers. Our high schools um, were very much at a, at a one-to-one device. And so they were in that mode. Teachers, um, some of them knew exactly what to do, but we're giving them a refresher. Um, at the K-8, our board um, passed the, um, uh, sorry, uh, passed on the agenda last um, at our last board meeting mm -hmm. to uh, submit or allow our kindergarten through eighth grade to have a device at home. So we are um, deploying all of our devices um, and we have enough for all of our students to take home. Um, so, so kids in so, KCK, everybody's got a computer, you're saying? They will. We are. We just um, finished with all of our middle schools yesterday. Um, today, all of our elementary schools are going to be, they're cleaning them, having to make sure that they are charged and ready, and then we'll be uh, giving, having a, a deployment. And so on our websites, we are putting the deployment and the schools are also tweeting that out, um, their dates, their times, as opposed to when those devices will be ready for our parents. And um, we're trying to make everything available. And actually, we have a, a call in, uh, a phone bank for individuals to call in to ask questions. We've also put out uh, um, FAQ for information mm -hmm. for, for parents. And so just as uh, Dr. Watson stated, we are looking at um, how do we roll this out, making sure that, you know, if they can't get it online, we're having packets for all of our K through eight. Um, in addition to, we're calling it more of an enrichment um, because we know that there's going to have to be some, some different type of style of teaching with, you know, giving parents opportunities to email teachers, call in with questions. So we understand that. And of course, that's going to create another level of anxiety. Right. And how do we grade it? Um, so we're going to be also asking our board to um, allow us to go to a non-traditional grading system, which is possibly, you know, freezing um, the GPA and using a, a, a pass system. Hmm. Pass, fail, that kind of thing. Commissioner, yes. Commissioner Watson, um, this is going to be a whole new world for a lot of families in Kansas. What does distance learning at home look like in a best case scenario for families? Are we talking about kids spending eight hours a day in front of a computer or is it something very different than that? It's something very different than that, Steve. And, and we know that uh, that's probably what people are thinking. Well, my student uh, my son or daughter goes to school six and a half, seven hours a day, plus extracurricular. Is that what we're talking about? And we, we issued guidelines to the continuous learning guidance document that uh, were scaled by age. And the younger the student, the less time online. Hmm. Uh, we certainly want them doing activities offline, uh, spending online uh, activities not like they would in a face-to-face -face environment. As you can think of, in any student's day in school, they not only have core academic, but they also have what we would call uh, enrichment or uh, courses that, uh, that, while 
uh, great in nature wouldn't be the same as the core academics, art, music, physical education, when you get up in the middle school and high school, career and tech ed classes, and uh, choir, band. So a student's day is a mixture of those things and gives some reprieve from just simply doing a uh, an algebra equation, for example, then they might be in a, in a class 50 minutes later uh, working on uh, a sculpture. And so we want to make sure that online learning isn't six and a half, seven hours a day of staring at a computer screen and trying to do that work. And I know that Dr. Faust and all of our superintendents across Kansas uh, are working hard to, to implement uh, requirements that that continue learning in 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 a, in a different manner, but uh, also take into account all the different scenarios mm-hmm. that families and kids will be going through. So, so commissioner, and if I might speak, if I might just really quick, yeah, I want to I want to say the first thing most of our school districts did was turn to serving uh, breakfast and lunch lunches across the state. Well, I want to thank Senator Roberts, Senator Moran, because they. They really stepped up to help us with waivers. In fact, I'm, we're going to be announcing some some additional waivers to help uh, families with that. But across our state, uh, uh, superintendents and district personnel have really been good about getting breakfast and lunch out to students and families, and that will continue uh, over the next several weeks as w- as we've suspended operation in, in buildings. So, Commissioner, I'm, I'm trying to still wrap my arms around what this looks like. So for the a family of a second grader, that child might spend, what, a couple, three hours a day uh, interacting with a teacher online? Am I seeing that right? And a high schooler might spend five, six hours a day online? That's probably a little high for our recommendation, Steve, mm-hmm. but I think the concept is correct. A, a second grader is going to spend less time than a high schooler, um, and those. Um, but it's still, I think that what you said, two or three hours versus five or six, is a little high. Our high schoolers are probably likely to spend around three hours on those online core activities. But our uh, other other courses, again, as I mentioned, physical education and music, right. uh, art. Um, uh, career and tech ed courses, they're also giving some suggestions for what students might be doing in their home hmm. and uh, and also in their community. I might say, as Dr. Faust knows this so well on the front lines, that there's not one-size-fits-all family situation. We'll have families where the parents are, have to go to work. We'll have families where uh, there's only one device, for example, or limited internet, and they're all sharing that device. And so uh, we know we're, we're asking for patience. We're trying to, to give that patience and grace to our families. And as we start to roll this out next week, we hope it'll be a slow rollout and we'll get into this next uh, learning phase in a, in a very slow way students and families into it. I want to get to one more question before I lose you guys. I'm I'm short of time here, Superintendent Faust, but to what extent are you worried about just what the the commissioner just said, this notion of educational equity at a time like this? Some families will be better able to adjust to this, more computers in the home, parents at home able to help their kids. Other families won't have those benefits. What about them? How concerned are you about that? Oh, very concerned. Um, you know, as as an educator, um, our job is to provide equity across the board in in, in such a, 
a, a lingo of saying leveling the playing field. Of course, this creates an unbalance um, when we are, you know, doing a, a distance learning and, you know, of such, you know, it's abrupt. So just as um, Dr. Watson stated, you know, the first couple of weeks will be a little rocky, um, but we are looking for improvements um, to get better um, amongst them. And so, of course, as I stated before, we have a phone bank and we're saying that we have, well, we're not saying we have the numbers for parents to call in, you know, if they're struggling. And so we have a number at 913-627-2455 for our parents and students to call. We will have um, the opportunities for, there will be some educators there. We're also going to be putting out videos of teachers teaching lessons. They've already submitted information for us. So that is going to help us. Um, and there may be opportunities for myself to get on and teach some math lessons at all levels. <laughs> so we're going to try um, to make this as um, as fun um, but learning um, as possible. Well, that I got to see that number again, 913-627-2455. I want to thank our very good guest here, uh, Charles Faust, superintendent of Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. Dr. Randy Watson is the Kansas Commissioner of Education. Thank you both very much for a good conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. After a short break, when we come back, we'll turn and look at Missouri Public Schools. I'm Steve Kraske, and you're listening to up-to-date special coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. And welcome back. I am Steve Kraske. Let's flip over now to the Missouri side and continue our conversation about educating our kids in the midst of a pandemic. Joining us now are Dr. Margie Van Dieven. She's Missouri's Commissioner of Education. Dr. Van Dieven, welcome back. Nice to have you. Are you there, Margie? Yes, I said thank you for having me. Yes, Good okay, to be here. We, we got you now. Yeah, Kenny okay, Southwick great. is executive director of the Cooperating School Districts of Greater Kansas City, which includes 31 districts on the Missouri side. He's the former superintendent of Shawnee Mission Schools. Kenny, nice to have you too. Good morning. Morning, Steve. Thank you. And if our listeners have questions about their own child's situation for our Missouri officials, our phone number here, 816-235-2888, or tweet us at KCUR up to date. Commissioner Van Dieven, are all school districts in the state now closed, and will they be closed uh, through the end of the school year? Uh, all schools are currently closed, the majority through April the 6th, and some have extended that closure. And, um, of course, all of those that deadlines are, are under review. I can't help but note this is being done very differently than how Kansas approached it, Commissioner. In Kansas, as you know, Governor Kelly issued an executive order closing all the schools. Did you and Governor Parson consider something similar in Missouri, or was that even an option? Well, you know, Missouri really does have a longstanding um, tradition of making sure that, you know, these these decisions are best made closest to the situation. And and uh, I will tell you, with 555 schools, districts across our state in very unique situations, um, we're very aware that um, school closure has widespread ramifications in those communities and, and felt um, the way our School leaders stepped up and worked with local leaders. Uh, we had the, the church leaders at the table, everybody coming together to say, how do we really make sure um, that this uh, distance, um, not distance learning, the, uh, the, the um, no, the, I'm sorry, 
anyway, how do we make sure <clears throat> that the social distancing, sorry, sure. that's what I was looking yeah. for, the social distancing really does work. I can relate, yeah. And bringing, um, it doesn't make sense for us in a community if you're going to close one school and then keep the malls open, for example. So really be thinking about how do we make this work together. Before the spread of COVID-19, Commissioner, was there any plan in Missouri for how to respond and handle public schools under you know the circumstances we're experiencing right now? Well, I think all schools had school closure plans. Um, many of them include things like alternate um, locations, that sort of thing. But the pandemic uh, situation surely hasn't um, been probably at the forefront, um, anything of this magnitude. So I think people are always aware um, and, and planning for different types of circumstances, um, but most are feeling like this is, is truly uncharted right. territory. Hey, Kenny Southwick, I'm wondering, are you anticipating that schools will be able to reopen before the end of the year? Will do you expect that some districts will decide that we're going to try it again? We have worked very closely as a group, Steve, uh, also with the commissioner, uh, with our local school boards, with our local superintendents, but very closely with the mayor of Kansas City. Um, as we worked through this process, um, uh, early on we were told that we should work with our local health departments, uh, our local agencies, and we've done that. Uh, when we went into our first closure, which was to end on April 3rd for our uh, students and staff to be able to come back full-time in the buildings on April 6th. Mm -hmm. Early on, um, working with the mayor, uh, with Dr. X Archer, it looked that we would need to expand. So we have done this incrementally. Right now, all of our schools have set deadlines for April 24th or if they're coming up on the April 3rd originally, we believe that they will go ahead and stay out until April 24th. So you think, worked, you think a lot of schools will be closed between now and the end of the year then, Kenny? Um, we're, we're trying to hold out for some hope, Steve, and uh, hmm. do this incrementally. Uh, when we talk about school closures, it's really two-pronged. It's one thing to close the building. It's another thing to close shop for uh, educational activities and to close shop for feeding students. So although our buildings are closed, we're still very much active, every one of our school districts, in working to feed and working to provide an educational programming. And let's not forget about our staff mm -hmm. and trying to be creative about keeping our people employed, um, working, um, and at the same time giving those that need an exemption because of age or health reasons, give them some exemptions, but still be able to have a paycheck. Commissioner, you know, as you well know, one big issue for so many students and their families right now is how the state's going to handle seniors who are supposed to be graduating in May. Um, will they be allowed to graduate? What will the impact be on their college applications? That sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think everybody uh, will do everything they can to make sure that, that students are not penalized through, through this situation. They'll do, if it does result in a, in a year-long closure, um, our schools are already making preparations to think about how to handle those situations. As you uh, mentioned with uh, the Kansas group, this is a national issue. I think mm -hmm. our colleges are going to be working very closely with us, military, everyone else who needs and counts on those diplomas and next steps. Um, going to be as reasonable as possible in understanding these situations. Commissioner, who makes that decision in Missouri? Is it your call? Is it the board's call? Is it individuals, uh, school districts? 
So in Missouri, we require uh, 24 credits for graduation. We establish those um, requirements, but then the districts determine how they will meet those. So what we're working on right now in the event that something like that should occur is let's let's work together uh, across the state to maybe come up with some guidance uh, and and be able to assist those who are making those decisions um, so that it makes sense for everybody across the state. Uh, Kenny Southwick, uh, what options do districts have when it comes to continuing the education of their students? I mean, is it possible that some districts can bring in students in small groups, as is being done in Kansas? Right now, we don't uh, don't have that situation. Uh, the only thing that I could point to is is that the superintendents in the Kansas City area on the Missouri side have begun to look at what we might do around daycare uh, to provide for first responders. That comes with a lot of intrepidation uh, to keep not only the students safe, but also um, the staff members safe. So we're working on that. And if we're called to respond, I'm sure our superintendents will. I had an opportunity to listen to your previous um, show right. before ours with Kansas and Missouri is very much like Kansas in terms of the inequity. And it's not just inequity in the rural areas. We have um, inequity in our uh, urban areas as well. And working with Dr. Bedell, mm -hmm. very concerned. Um, and we've, as a group of superintendents, have talked about when the new normal comes, there's some lessons learned. And there are some things that I think that we should be maybe better advocates for in terms of not only having a network, having a solid platform, making sure that the um, the teachers are in a situation where they feel comfortable temp uh, teaching in this modality. Mm -hmm. We think coming out of this um, with the things that we'll learn in this, that, that it'll just make us better. But if I hear you right, Kenny, you're saying that distance learning via the Internet is going to be the option here. That's that's where uh, teachers and students are headed now. Um, I don't think full time. I think in times like this it would be. But I will tell you that we have as many of our districts that are putting together packets, hmm. thousands of packets along with lunches. And, and we're distributing those to our students um, as well as um, – uh, trying to work on a platform with technology. So I think it's a combination. Um, I I guess after 44 years, I still believe that the personal touch and that teacher to work with that student in the classroom and our teachers are doing an awesome job uh, staying connected, but it, it's hard to replace that. And uh, I, in my lifetime, don't think I'll see a time where everything is delivered to a computer. Right. I hope not. Commissioner Van Dieven, I'm wondering about your concerns when it comes to this inequity that Kenny Southwick just referred to, this notion that uh, different, uh, part, uh, different groups of kids across the state are going to be going through experiences now, educational experiences that are wildly uneven in terms of uh, a child's ability to learn and grow. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of our primary areas of focus right now. Um, certainly ensuring the, the safety and, and health of our children is first. But then when we move into this next step, it's really three primary areas, uh, access um, to high-speed Internet. And so, you know, that looks vastly different across our state. I was going to say there are parts of Missouri that don't have anything close to that, right, Margie? Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. And so... Um, we're, we uh, issued a survey just to kind of see where our schools are right now, and 
are going to want to work with uh, providers to see are there ways to turn on hotspots, are there ways to get access temporarily for our families' homes. Uh, the schools are in pretty good shape themselves, but it's into those families' homes that we're talking about with access. Also, the hardware, um, that's another issue. Um, so as you've just also heard from Kansas, it's very true. I've heard, you know, now that in many cases, moms and dads now suddenly working from home, two or three children trying to access, there's only one computer in, in, the, in place. Uh, that makes that a little bit challenging uh, to share all of those resources. And then the third area is the professional development. Um, some of our teachers are well equipped in, in understanding how to do this sort of remote learning for others. It's right. a brand new environment. So three key areas that, that we're working to address. And um, again, we've heard reports uh, across the spectrum. And um, as we focus on opportunity for all kids to learn. This is certainly one of our top priorities and challenges right now. I was going to say, Dr. Van Dieven, hearing you describe what you're up against right now, I'm just guessing that you're living a very full life these days. <laughs> very full life. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that I know we'll look back on in several years and, and learn quite a bit from. Uh, right now, I can tell you, I have just been absolutely amazed um, by the way people have stepped up to the plate uh, to try to serve and um, doing the best they can, making the best decisions that we can make every day and really every hour. Uh, things are changing quite a bit and um, I think people are ready to, to provide that assistance when they can. It's been truly remarkable. If you're just joining us, you're listening to up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. We're talking to Missouri education officials about the challenges that teachers, parents, and students face as they navigate this new world order of educating, going through education during a pandemic. Uh, if our uh, parents and students have questions for our panel, 816-235-2888. We can tweet us at KC you are up to date. We have an email question from Rachel. What about those kids who need special ed types of curriculum, Kenny Southwick? So we actually, that's been a conversation that we've had with all of our school districts. Um, and also, I will say that I've had an opportunity to, to work uh, a lot with the commissioner over the last two to three weeks. Um, as we look at providing free and appropriate public education for all of our students that have disabilities, uh, it's very difficult to do that always with a computer. So um, we are looking at uh, individual staffs, we're looking at the IEPs, looking at the general curriculum that's being delivered, making sure that um, students have the opportunities, the same opportunities that other students would. But we've had to be very creative um, as you know, we're probably not going to send a physical therapist into a house during these times. So um, as we look at the IEP, the services that we deliver, the contacts we have, we're also cognizant of what parts of the IEP we're not able to deliver so that when we get back to a normal, we'll be able to sit down with uh, staff and parents and students and decide what adjustments would need to be made um, yeah. as we move forward to deliver the service. But it is a challenge, Steve. You know, Kenny, Kansas officials have expressed concerns about a lack of guidance on special education and, and also feeding students during this time from the federal government. Is there a lack of guidance from your standpoint? Well, um, I've had conversations with our commissioner and also with Stephen Barr, who works very closely, uh, feel like that we've had open communications and there has been 
um, information that's come from uh, uh, the Department of Education in Washington um, and the Office of Special Education about, and basically it is, um, you know, we're not going to forego any, any human rights or civil rights that students have, but in this time, um, do the best that you can do, follow the timelines the best that you can, um, and in the end, when we come out to a new normal, uh, we'll make those adjustments. But I think that there's information out there. Steve, there's always questions. Um, mm -hmm. The commissioner and I have talked about what we think we know in the morning is not what we know at noon and definitely not what we know in the evening, <laughs> and it's changing that quickly. Yeah. So, um, but I have to give... I've got to give a shout out to all of our staff and all our cooks and our bus drivers and our secretaries that are manning the buildings, our administrators that are working timeless hours to do the very best that we can. Right. Um, it's not going to replace kids walking through the front door and going into the classroom and sitting down and having their friends there. But in these times, we're, we're trying to do the best we can, be creative and continue the educational process. Commissioner Van Dieven, you've waived standardized testing in Missouri this uh, spring with the permission of federal officials. I think other states have done something similar. Why did you make that decision? Well, as uh, Kenny was just talking about, our, our school teachers and leaders, they're going to great lengths to make sure uh, that they can take care of our children in many, many ways. And, um, you know, as I said, there's a time and a place for standardized assessments. Um, we just didn't feel like this was the appropriate time for that. Uh, many other things that they are focusing on and um, the ability to take something like that off of their plates seemed like the very right thing to do. What gets lost because of that decision? I mean, what what will that uh, stop uh, education officials and leaders in different districts from being able to do? Well, you know, I think you go back to why do we even have them in the first place, and that's to make sure that, you know, all children have access to a high-quality education, and we use those results to see are our students learning in certain environments. And uh, so I think we will lose some trend line data, uh, but quite frankly, we believe that would have been lost um, already with, with the absences that were occurring. You couldn't really compare what was happening this year to last year, that sort of thing. So uh, we'll lose that. We'll certainly lose some of the rep uh, public reporting components um, for the annual performance report that's typically delivered. Um, but I think uh, people under these situations certainly understand that. What about the Kansas City, Missouri School District's ability to regain full accreditation? Does this push it back another year? Yeah, I mean, that's something we're going to have to look at. I know that's something that's going to be on their minds um, quite a bit in the city. Uh, but if we don't have the mechanisms to, to do that, um, we, we very well may have to put that off. Um, but that, that's a conversation that we haven't really fully delved into at this point. Kenny, um, we got a, a, a post on Twitter. I'm hearing that some Northland students uh, were being told are having difficulties with online learning and are pleading for tutoring help. They're seeking tech-savvy tutors, including teens, to help them keep learning. What do you know about that? Um, I know that uh, as we rolled out some of those uh, systems, and they're all different, they're not the same across the area, that there were some learning curves moving not only for the students, but for our staff as well and our, our district, district technical people. I'm sure our districts will continue to work that out. But if there are concerns that um, individuals have, we're referring them back to the districts. They're there to support 
as you can imagine, there's a wide range of academic activities across grade levels, across all of our districts um, mm -hmm. represented in the cooperating school district. And, and we're referring them back. If you're frustrated, make those phone calls and see if you can get the help you need. Um, Steve, if I could, I wanted to, to make one comment about our assessments and if we lose our assessments this year. Mm -hmm. Now, this is my 44th year, and, and I remember a time when there was no accountability. Uh, we're far past that now, and we've, um, the state of Missouri, I think, has gone far above where we, uh, in relationship to other states, in terms of our accountability. Kenny, but let me just come back to that question from the Northland. Is there a need for, uh, for tutors to help the different districts navigate this new world order? There, I mean, that's going to be up to individual districts, but if we tutor, would it be tutor online, Steve? Mm -hmm. And if, if that's going to be additional frustration, I think until we get into a situation uh, where we're not stay at home, um, it's tough to make a decision to send um, staff members or to send students into situations uh, when we've basically been ordered to stay in place. Right. Commissioner uh, Liz asks us this on Twitter. We will be moving out of state this summer. Will everything like subject grades and grade level, tr grade level transfer state to state or even between districts in the state? Uh, you know, I think that's something we'll, I, I, I don't foresee that there will be any challenges with that, but I never want to overcommit. So I think, um, again, most state, we're on, I'm on weekly calls with uh, my counterparts across the nation. We're all working together to try to figure out how to best address this, but a lot of times how districts accept credit, how schools accept credit is dependent upon that individual group, and so I don't want to speak on their behalf. Um, but I will tell you that there has been a, a true spirit of let's make sure that our kids are not um, penalized through this process. Okay, we're going to leave our conversation there. Interesting stuff, lots of moving parts. That was the voice of Dr. Margie Van Dieven. She's Missouri's Commissioner of Education. Kenny Southwick also joined us. He's Executive Director of the Cooperating School Districts of Greater Kansas City. Thank you both for a good conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with up-to-date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske.